she told me one day, she said, I'm asking them to tell their friends that I'm kind. You're listening to the Believe in Dog podcast. I'm your host and resident dog mom, Erin Scott. Not only can a dog be your best friend, but I believe a dog can be a healer, a teacher, and an inspiration. I can't wait to share with you stories of how the love of a dog is changing our lives and changing the world. This is Believe in Dog. Welcome to episode 49 of the Believe in Dog podcast. I'm your host, Erin Scott, and thank you so much for being here today. Today, we're going to be hearing from Jenny Hubbard, the founder of the Catherine Violet Hubbard Foundation and Animal Sanctuary. And if you're someone who's been feeling like their heart has been heavy with the news of the world lately, I think Jenny is the perfect person for you to be hearing from right now. You see, Catherine Violet Hubbard was Jenny's beautiful, redheaded six-year-old daughter who loved all things animals. All creatures, great and small, were loved by Catherine Violet Hubbard. And Catherine's life ended on December 14th, 2012, at the Sandy Hook tragedy in Newtown, Connecticut. And I so appreciate the love, the compassion, the kindness that Jenny shows in sharing Catherine's story with the world and the strength and courage that it has taken for her to go on and to build this legacy to her daughter. And Jenny's going to share with us exactly how this whole thing came about. It's kind of a funny story that involves a typo. (laughs) So Jenny's going to tell us all about her life and where she was in life and as a mom at the time of the tragedy and how this whole sanctuary came about, all of the kindnesses that have been shown to her along the way, which helped prove to her time and time again that she should not ever lose faith in humanity. And the goals and the mission and the programs and the work that Jenny and her team are doing with the Catherine Violet Hubbard Foundation are just amazing. And Jenny's going to share with us all about this. And I think that In a time where we might be struggling for hope, Jenny's story can show us how to find meaning in the face of the greatest tragedy. And one of the things that really struck me as, I don't know, crazy, insane, bizarre, ironic, or maybe just that's America these days, is that when I set the interview up with Jenny, between the time that we figured out a date and the date of the interview actually occurring, We had both the Uvalde school shooting at Robb Elementary and then the Buffalo supermarket shooting. And then I record the interview with Jenny and she's so gracious to allow me to ask her what, what is it like for her to hear about these events that keep happening in the world? And I think you'll really appreciate that her answer might be something different than what you'd expect. But then, just between the time of us recording the interview and now me releasing the interview, we have more events with the July 4th tragedy. And so I hope that we can all take some time to really reflect on Jenny's thoughts and insights about these tragedies in our country. So please join me in celebrating the life of Catherine Violet Hubbard. I can't wait for you to meet Jenny Hubbard. Hello, I am here today with Jenny Hubbard. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. It's wonderful to meet you. I have so many questions for you, and I can't wait to share your story. Uh, but I, I did want to talk a little about you and your background. Okay. Were you an animal person growing up? Were you someone who was always into animals? Not quite to the extent as Catherine. <laughs> I, uh, we had a family pet. I had two, Gretchen Dog and Molly Dog, which is so funny. But the heart and and the passion that Catherine had for for the animals that she adored was was squarely hers. <laughs> um, I grew up in North Carolina in Chapel Hill, 
and I was the youngest of, of four kids. I, um, I went to a small women's college in Virginia. I had every intention of going to um, work in an art gallery. My, my degree's in art history. And I had every intention of going to work for an art, in an art gallery in New York. And a Fortune 500 company had come and recruited uh, from the college. They were looking to diversify it, which is so, it's so funny to think of this now. Um, <laughs> but then it, it was, geez, 25 years ago. Um, and their idea of diversity was women. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so they came and recruited from the, from the school I was attending. And I decided that it would be a great summer job to do an internship with them. And um, I ended up getting a job offer at the end of that summer. And I went into my senior year of, of college having a job um, in sales and marketing, which I loved. I did. I, I worked for them and moved up through the ranks um, over nine years. And then I got pregnant and decided that it was time to stay home and raise my son who was born. Um, and, you know, it was one of these decisions in my life where I think it was a crossroads right? Um, where I just put as one of those mile markers where not an easy decision to make, but one of probably the best decisions that I made for me. Right. Um, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't sustain the level of work that I was doing for the company that I was at and be present as a mom. Right. Um, and so I just decided the best decision for me was to stay home. Um, and so we packed it in at that point we were in Buffalo, New York, um, I was running a district and we packed it up and, and came back to the East Coast. And um, shortly thereafter, I had Catherine and I was able, because we really, we went from two salaries to one, um, living in Newtown, Connecticut. We moved here because the school systems were so great, um, but we really couldn't afford to be in that we literally had a toe in Newtown, but I had all this free time to spend with my kids and really understand who they were and what they stood for. And thank God, because I'm able to, I'm, I'm able to have those moments and memories with Catherine um, and really understand that her heart and her passion was truly animals. I think of, I think of this, the six-year-olds that she was friends with and, and little ones that age, they have, <laughs> they are not ashamed or shy about <laughs> sharing what they love. And I think that all too often, sadly, we unlearn our passion. Um, and so my memories are rooted squarely in what Catherine loved. Um, and so when, when she died in uh, 2012, we asked for contributions in, in her memory in lieu of flowers to go to the animal center of Newtown. Um, we felt like that would best honor her life and her love. And so what are some of your favorite memories and stories of her? Well, she was, she was this qu quiet and dainty. She was, she was tiny. She almost looked waif like, um, I picture, yeah, you know, I, she, she was, she was so, she was skinny but she, man, was she strong? Like <laughs> she was every bit of how you would describe a redhead. Like <laughs> she had this fiery determination that um, she would. She and her brother were just about two years apart, and she said to me one day, "When did Freddie learn how to ride his bike?" And he was in first grade, and she was in kindergarten. And I said, yeah, "First grade, like." Not long ago, and she spent all afternoon figuring out how to ride the bike. She <laughs> so she could do it first, right? First. Um, but you know, by her her determination and her competitiveness and her drive was so it was balanced by just her gentle her, her gentleness. Um, she had this passion for creatures, and it wasn't like dogs and cats only or or birds or exotic animals she she loved loved them all and her commitment um was to them we my kids were it was a snowstorm one day and and they were in the family room and they were making business cards and i literally thought that they were using construction paper and they were you know cutting them out and they had gotten a hold of my computer 
<laughs> mom of the year, um, they were on Vistaprint and they, oh. were, they were creating like le- legit business cards. And I heard my son say to Catherine, um, so what are you going to call yourself? And she goes, well, he said, what is your title? And she said, what do you mean? What's a title? He goes, it's what you want to call yourself. What do you want people to call you? And her self-created title was caretaker. Two so they got done with their little project. Um, she had created business cards for Catherine's animal shelter. And my son had created b- business cards for his landscaping business. Oh. And they decided that they wanted their business cards. So they were like, well, now we need your credit card to order these things. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is nuts. So um, I adamantly said, no way. That's not going to happen. Um, and they got their dad's ear. And um, he, of course, you know, in come the business cards. Because I, I did not realize that you got 250 free. Um, <laughs> they showed up in the, in the, in the mailbox. And I, I told them, like, you're not allowed to bring these to school. Like this is a little silly. And the next day, Catherine's uh, kindergarten teacher sent me an email and said, her business cards are precious. Oh my God. I know. You know, and it's funny, we had moved, um, we moved in August before Catherine died. Um, we moved across town and, you know, it's so funny to me to think that I have those business cards as, um, just an indication of what her life, what she wanted her life to stand for. I was going to ask if you still had them. <laughs> I do. So the funny thing was, is that when we moved, so we moved across town the year Catherine started first grade. Um, and we were in the same, Newtown has four, four elementary schools. Um, we moved so that Catherine could stay in the same elementary school. Catherine and Freddie could still be with their friends and but I said to her, everything that you, you need to fit it. Here's your boxes. Cause she <laughs> had this enormous collection of stuffed animals that she would, she would always buy a mama and a baby. So she had this enormous collection and I, I gave her totes for her room. And I said to her, they have to fit in these totes. Like whatever d- doesn't fit, we got to figure out what well, they need a new home. And she had her brother sitting on her tote. <laughs> like she was, not one, not one of her collection of animals was donated or left <laughs> behind. And she tucked her business cards in, in with the animals. So I'm delighted that they made their way. We found them <laughs> after she died and realized that we were on the, we were on the right track in honoring her passion. She had, I've got one more story that I'll share with you, but she, um, she had this, beautiful way of setting the creatures free that she cared for. Um, we our, our rule was that in the summer when you had a, a friend for the day and she would, she would always have either a frog or a worm. Um, and when the butterflies were out, she managed to have a butterfly friend for the day. Um, you would have to send it off. And so she would carry around this enclosure and sometimes it was a mason jar. Sometimes it was a legit, like a bug inspection box and she would fill it with whatever they needed. But at the end of the day, she had this grace about sending them away and she would whisper to them. I finally asked her, what exact, what are you saying? Cause it was like this ritual of release. <laughs> she, um, she told me one day, she said, I'm asking them to tell their friends that I'm kind. Uh-huh. And she believed in her innocent six-year-old world, which I think is a beautiful world. Um, she believed that if they went back, those creatures went back, whatever it was, and told their friends that she was kind, that they'd come back in droves to her. Oh. So it's that, it's that gentle whisper, the tell all your friends that I am kind, is our mantra here at the sanctuary in the work that we do, that if whatever we're doing doesn't honor the bond that Catherine had with the creatures in her care, whether they were stuffed or real, (laughs) (laughs) um, we just want people to know at the sanctuary that, that humans are kind. That's so beautiful. I wish we could all live in that world. (laughs) Me too. Me too. And so how did the idea for the sanctuary all come about? You know, I, I love this idea of making donations instead of sending flowers. You know, I always think that's a beautiful 
way to, you know, to honor somebody's memory. And yeah. so did it just sort of grow from there? It did. It was actually a typographical error, believe it or not. So when, um, when we were, you know, you bury a, a six-year-old, you have no idea, you're not prepared. And um, the funeral home gave us a kit, literally a kit. And part of that kit was like a standardized obituary. And at the bottom of it, it says, in lieu of flowers, blank. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we got to that part of it and <laughs> we were like, well, what was Catherine's cause? Clearly everybody, they, like whatever you're passionate for was what goes in that line. And Catherine's cause was animals. And she loved to go to the animal control center, loved it. And, you know, often she would go armed with a box of, of dog treats so that she could, she'd use it as her entry ticket to see whichever oh. animals were there. And so we figured that's the best way to honor her. So I had said to someone who was in the kitchen as we were writing this, can you look up the address for the animal center of Newtown and left out the word control. Mm. Um, They looked it up and they were like, here's the address. And in it went and off it went. And $125,000 later, the animal center, it was actually a nonprofit reached out and shared that the contributions they, they had received and they really wanted to, to talk about what was the best use of those donations to truly honor Catherine's memory. So this was a different organization. Totally. Okay. <laughs> totally. So what I, when I thought I was writing animal control center, I just wrote animal center and it, the animal center existed. It was for, it was for women. They rescued cats. They did a lot of work with feral cats in the community. They were just starting to adopt dogs out. And so it was, what are the chances? Right. I really truly believe that so much of the work that we do has, you know, just some, it has divine protection over it that is just destined to be this beautiful place of healing and a beautiful place of connection and growth right from its inception. The the women that ran the animal center had called and said, we'd love to meet you because we really want to talk about, they did not know Catherine. We didn't know that they existed. And they said, we really want to, we, we really want to talk to you. So they sat at my dining room table and they explained that they felt the best use of these donations that came in for Catherine's memory was to create a sanctuary to which I said, what's a sanctuary? (laughs) Um, Because my extent of, of animal welfare up until that point was adopting our yellow lab um, from a group that I didn't even know. Like I thought it was a riot that I met them in a parking lot and (laughs) bought Sammy from them out of a a box in the back of a pickup truck. (laughs) No idea. And so you know, they explained that a sanctuary, how they envisioned a sanctuary would be a place where children can see their own innate beauty in the eyes of a lamb or a deer or cat or a dog, and that it would be a true place of healing and a true place of acceptance. And as they shared what their vision of the sanctuary that they had hoped to create um, I could see Catherine coming right alongside of them. And it was a, it was a place where her love and her commitment to caring for animals would be honored, but also her legacy would live. I think that that's really admirable that they were able to reach out to you and include you in the process. I think that that's very special and, and maybe not everybody would have responded in that way. I totally agree with you. And I have thought more times than not of that initial gift and grace that we were offered because there were no, there were no strings to the contributions that they received. Right. They could have said, you know what? Donations came in in Catherine's memory and we are set for the rest of our existence or they could have, have used those contributions to help, you know, support their efforts in, in cat and, and dog, rescues and for them to put it aside and wait until a conversation could be had. What a gift and a grace. I, I think probably um, 
There was a lot of initial reminders and examples to me that humanity was good. And I believe that so much, so many of those things were gifts to me so that I would just hold on and not lose faith in people. Right. Because <laughs> I could imagine that would be easy to do in that situation. Absolutely. Absolutely. There were people that were, you know, reaching out and, you know, it was just so being pulled in so many different directions, but to see the kindness of the, the women at the animal center and their complete just lack of, of selfishness in moving forward quickly and being patient to say, you know, we're going to, when the time is right, let's sit down. What a gift. What an example that we can all follow. Absolutely. And so it looks like you have this amazing property now and and things have been in the works. How, how has this all grown and come about? Yep. So we, so when we decided that we would, we would build this sanctuary, um, the animal center and, and myself really sat down and mapped out what does it look like? Uh, and we created a nonprofit foundation and we found property that we thought would be great to call home to the sanctuary. <laughs> and, you know, it was again, one of these moments where there, it was a mile marker for us because we loved the property where we're at, but we weren't quite sure what we how we were going to even begin to solicit the state on, on granting the land to us. Could we afford the land? And it was a simple phone call, which was amazing. Um, so many of our state representatives and senators had shown up at Catherine's funeral and had said, if there's any help that we can ever offer you. Um, and I called, <laughs> I reminded them that we met and that they had offered their help. And could they help? Because there was a beautiful piece of property, 34 acres that the state owned. And we'd love to, we wanted to petition the state for it. And they stepped up. They said, of course we can help. I think people really and truly, I think they want to help. I think people are good. So a year later, after putting together a business plan and and really showing the state that we were going to be true stewards of this pristine piece of property, um, the governor handed the deed to my son. Wow. And said, please take good care. Uh, And in so many ways, it was just such a moment of hope and a new beginning that we could move forward in creating this beautiful place of sanctuary. So the property is 34 acres. It's in the geographic heart of Newtown, which is amazing. Um, It's a really nice mix of there's woodland and there's a beautiful trail that weaves through it. Um, There's meadows uh, that we have both restored and reclaimed. Um, The property stood fallow for 10 years and so we, um, we were first confronted with a massive invasive problem. And so we oh, wow. cut back and um, really pushed the property back to its original boundaries. And then we've done a lot of habitat restoration up there. And so staying true to the environment seems like one of the principles behind what you're doing also. Absolutely. So we believe that it's important when, if we're going to honor the human animal bond, then we believe that it's important that all animals should live in their rightful homes. Um, and, and I know it's, it could be defined in a lot of different ways for us. How we define that is um, that companion animals should be in the homes of loving families, that domestic farm animals should be on a farm and that wildlife should have appropriate habitat. And so um, we do a lot of work here at the sanctuary with making sure that companion animals, uh, dogs and cats of older adults, especially, um, remain in their caregiver's home and that our property is the perfect habitat for the creatures that call it home. So we have a lot of wildlife and we have a lot of meadow space that is uh, supporting beneficial insects and pollinators. Um, we love it because the sanctuary has just come alive as we've really worked to make sure that it it is the perfect habitat for the creatures that call the sanctuary home. And yes, I read one of your programs is the Senior Paw Project. So can you tell us about that? Yeah, of course. So the Senior Paw Project was really born out of this want to make sure that animals stayed stayed in their rightful homes. And 
without creating too much noise um, and overlap in the animal welfare and animal rescue world. There's a lot of groups that do a lot of good work. And we felt like our role really needed to be in a supportive role. And what we found was that senior pets stay in shelters seven times longer than their younger counterparts. And so as we started thinking about how can we be a supportive, play a supportive role in this space, um, we realized that our our help could be in making sure that like we could be a stopgap. If they never get to the shelter in the first place, <laughs> they're not going to be there seven times longer. And so we work directly with residential housing communities, affordable housing, and the resident service advisors in identifying those those older adults that are at risk or in a position to relinquish their pet. Uh, and uh, many of these older adults are in they're in affordable housing. They're on fixed incomes. Right. They haven't had their pets vetted for years because the average cost of a, of a wellness exam with a vet now is up to $275. And for folks that are on a fi- fixed income, a lot of times living below poverty level, that's a huge ask. Yes. So the Senior Paw Project works to address that problem. And so we have three uh, services that we provide um, we, like I said, we work directly with service coordinators so that we can identify those folks that are truly have financial needs without having to go through an extensive finance review. I just, there's something about the human dignity that I think is compromised in that. Dignity. Yes. So we, we have, uh, we call them clients. We have clients that will receive uh, any or all of the following. They'll get uh, vet services, which we have a mobile veterinarian that will go into the home and eliminate eliminate some of the barriers that we often don't even think about. Yes. Mobility. A lot of these folks yes. don't have transportation or they can't drive. They yes. <laughs> And you can't take, get on a bus with a dog. You and-, cannot- <laughs> and the ones that can drive, it becomes really difficult to try to wrangle a cat that is accustomed to living underneath your bed or up on right. a bookcase. And now you've got a senior climbing a ladder to get a cat. That's a moving target. Like right. it's just, it's not going to end well. So um, we, we send our, our mobile vet partners in um, and they provide the wellness exams and provide vaccines and, you know, core treatments, if there's prescriptions that will help support the care and the, the life of the pet, then you know we, we provide the resources and the financial support to pay for prescriptions or right. you know whatever vaccines they might need. The second area of support that we offer is the food support. And so if a senior is compromising their own nutritional, health or they can't, they're worried about how are they going to feed their pet. Worry gone. Um, yes. We direct ship to their door so they don't have to worry about going somewhere or picking up food. Uh, we we direct ship to them and uh, we provide food ongoing as long as they need it. And then the third area of support is an as needed type thing. Um, if one of our clients knows that they have to go in for some sort of surgery, elective surgery, um, and they're not doing it because they have no one to care for their pet or that boarding is way too expensive. Um, we are, we assemble a, a few people in these communities that are willing to take on, you know, short-term care of the pets. Often it's in their own apartments or um, they'll bring a cat or a dog into their house. We had one foster family that um, they kept the dog for, it was three weeks and it was a hip replacement surgery. And then they went to the apartment once the um, caregiver was home and walked the dog so that the caregiver had her pet, but also knew that she didn't have to worry about getting outside um, while she continued to recover at home. And I think the cool part about this is as, as we continue to build up our foster network and now that we're in a post COVID environment, we can, we can start focusing on those types of activities. But what we find is that, the healing process for the caregiver is faster because they know that they're going home to their pet where yes. there's always that 
sad story of someone who had to relinquish their pet because they couldn't take care of it anymore. And then their health deteriorates because of the emotional strain in, in relinquishing a pet. Yes. I just, I'm involved in some of this type of volunteer work here in Baltimore. And I just love these programs so much. And, and I think what we find out is that a lot of times people aren't relinquishing their pet because they don't want their pet. It's because of some sort of circumstance. And so if you can help, you know, mitigate that circumstance. And sometimes, like you said, it might be because somebody needs to watch the, the dog for a couple weeks or, you know, we need to get a vet over to the house and things that to us might seem relatively simple, but, you know, to someone who's living, you know, below the poverty line and doesn't, you know, maybe have the internet or a network or, or things like, exactly. and, and we can problem solve these things and, and, and stop the flow, you know, coming into the, to the shelters. And I just, I love that kind of looking upstream view of, of animal welfare that's been taking off. Absolutely. And I, I, what we've found is that a lot of these folks that we work with, they have this incredible pride of not wanting to ask for help, like trying to figure it out for themselves. And by working with resident the service coordinators in these communities, we can do, we can provide help discreetly. Right. So that their, that, that their own emotional well-being is preserved. Right. And also helps the, the wellness of the entire community. I mean, I was shocked to hear that as we started getting into these apartments and providing vaccines to the, to the pets and doing these wellness visits, that for most of the people that we serve, their last vet visit was three years ago. Wow. And they're living in these small communities. And yeah, as much as their heart is with their pets, in some cases, they were, they were dealing with issues that the caregiver had self-diagnosed. And had they been seen or identified early on, there could have been relatively simple treatments. And now right. it become far more complex right. um, and posed a risk to the people that they were also living with in, in the community. So right. I'm, I, I am grateful to do the work. Our, our Sammy, our yellow lab um, was a 13 and you know, a little bit of the reverse. Cause she was Literally, even though she was came way before Catherine, um, she was bonded to <laughs> she was Catherine's dog. Um, and the connection between a person and their pet, um, especially when it's it's a senior um, connection, it's special. And it, I, I love the fact that we're able to honor it in the way that we the way that we can. It's so beautiful. And I know you have a lot of other programs going on there. Um, what else do you have in the works? So we, we actually, it, it falls under the umbrella of, um, we have three pillars of programming. Um, we have uh, program, everything that we do feeds into honoring the human animal bond. And so when you look at it from this lens, it, it starts to, it starts to make sense. So we have the senior paw project and that's our care of animals programming. The other things that we will do once we have a building is be able to, to provide support for the domestic farm animals. Um, we can't do that right now because we don't have a caregiver on site. So we care of animals is one of our pillars. We have um, our human side of programming, which is our educational initiatives. We believe that we can, can support the care that we provide to animals if we can teach people all ages how to care for the animals in their midst. And so we do free community workshops that focus on topics like habitat preservation. We in, and, and it's, it's seasonally relevant. So in the fall, when the monarch migration is happening, we have a, a workshop on a Sunday afternoon called Monarchs, Meadows, and More. And literally, we bring all of the experts in our area into one spot and we open it up to the community and we do things like monarch tagging and we have pollinator plants and we have the Autobahn and a local entomologist who teaches about the importance of, of monarchs and beneficial insects. And so we feel like our educational workshops, what we offer to the community at no cost, is our way of teaching people how to implement in their own backyards. 
um, we we do some of our educational efforts are centered on um, bringing an animal into your home, and so uh, goats galore is is, <laughs> is one of our our workshops because we believe that people are capable of bringing these types of animals in into their into their environment, um, whether it be a backyard farm or a, a companion animal, um, so long as they have the right information. Sure. So um, we we give them the benefit of the doubt and we provide them that information. So Goats Galore or workshops like Goats Galore would be with animal rescues and veterinarians. And we say, here's what you need to know. And if you still want to bring a goat into your backyard, great. But please, <laughs> please find one from a rescue. And so our educational efforts have educated over 120,000 people wow. in the past eight, eight years. We, um, we had in-school curriculum pre-COVID. Uh. And it was, it was what we do at our Sundays at the sanctuary, uh, but in the classroom. So we're working right now on figuring out how we can reintroduce that uh, piece of our work safely. COVID environment. So that's our human piece. That's our educational pillar. And then our third pillar of honoring the human animal bond is how, is how we protect the environments that our animals live in. And so uh, right now that work is focused um, strictly on the sanctuary and habitat preservation um, on the sanctuary. We've removed an acre of invasive plants. Uh, We have restored a four acre meadow. Uh, We've been marked as a monarch way station and are currently looking at being marked as a firefly sanctuary. Oh, wow. Yeah. You guys are doing such amazing work. So admirable. Thank you. <laughs> it's hard not to when you've got such great people around your, around <laughs> yourself. I, uh, I think it's so beautiful to be able to, you know, to honor your, your daughter in that way. And, um, it makes me think like, does that help you still feel connected to her? It does. I think that any parent wants their child, um, whether they've lost their child or their child is a productive member of the community or a six year old or a high school kid. I think we all want our children um, to leave a legacy that's kind and generous and gives back to the communities that they live in. And so I think more than anything, having the opportunity to work with the sanctuary and create this true place of healing and compassion that I, in some ways, it sounds weird, but I, I, I can be really proud of the person um, that Catherine was and continues to be in our community. One of the things I always say about my podcast is that I believe that animals can be healers and teachers and inspirations in our lives. Yeah. And I just loved everything. You know, I saw everything about that in, in your story and in Catherine's story. Had animals helped you with healing over these last 10 years? They have, they really have. And I didn't, I wouldn't have thought that um, before Catherine died. I loved, I loved Sammy. Um, I loved the creatures that Catherine carried around in her hands. Um, but there is something about that, that human animal connection. Like there's, there's just when our, when, when our farmers come in and they've got their baby goats um, and they hand one to me, like I, I can't wait to hold it. Or uh, we just did the butterfly party, which is a huge community event that we host. And to be able to hold the puppies, there's something just joyful about that interaction. I also think that a lot of what animals do for us is they absorb a lot of our pain and and our hurt. Um, And they do it selflessly. Absolutely. I have told the story on my podcast before. I never had a dog until I was 25. Oh, wow. And I didn't grow up with animals. We never really had pets or anything. And it was after the death of my stepson, um, about a year later, that we first brought dogs into our lives. And it was such a healing force for me and helped me 
find the good and, you know, just had something to be grateful for in, in the, in the hard days and the hard times and, and helped, you know, sort of uh, turn our, our life around and, you know, in that regard. Absolutely. We had, it was sad. Um, Sammy, as I shared, Sammy was, she was a, a senior animal. Um, she was probably 12, 13 um, when Catherine died and she would rally. She had awful arthritis. And when Catherine came home from school, she'd hear the bus and she'd rally. She'd sleep all day and she'd know Catherine and Catherine had set up little jumps in the backyard. She was trying to teach her to go through an agility course. And Sammy would be like, okay, I got this. Um, And we were, we were keeping Sammy alive for us. Like it was, it was obvious. Um, But we also wanted to, to be able to be with the kids. Um, because we, we knew that we needed to say goodbye to Sammy and we were going to do it after the holidays so that we could really help them navigate the grief that was surely going to come from saying goodbye to Sammy. Um, and, you know, Catherine died first. And two weeks later, we had to say goodbye to oh. Sammy. And it was heartbreaking um, to watch my son, like, Oh, you know, here's another Another. loss. Yeah. Uh, And a family friend came in probably six months later, came into the house and he said, Miss Jenny, he was nine. Miss Jenny, you need a dog. It's very sad in here. You need a dog. (laughs) We ended up getting a dog um, back, but there is, there is something special about that. And so I know that Catherine's birthday was very recently. It was just last week. Um, it's the week before my birthday. <laughs> and uh, and I know you had the, the butterfly party. Can you tell us about that? Sure. So Catherine's birthday wish every single year. I was a big backyard birthday mom, number one, because we didn't have the money to go do the play, the stuff. And I wanted everybody to come. I, I wanted I wanted my children's birthdays to be inclusive of everyone. And family, intergenerational schoolmates. So we would start in May and I would say to her, what do you want to do for your birthday party this year? And she'd say, I want an all the animals animal party. Like I could count on, I could still <laughs> hear her voice in my head. Um, and we would spend a number of weeks walking back, like, well, what kind of animals? And I don't think I can give you the all the animals animal party that you're envisioning. Um, and so we, um, so she, she would, settle on an animal, a lot of times a color. Uh, and, um, after she died around her birthday, the, her, the first birthday after she died, um, I went to the zoo. We, 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 well, what would Catherine want to do? And so we went to the zoo and, you know, it just, after having, after having six years of these beautiful celebrations, um, it just didn't seem quite, honorable <laughs> for Catherine. And so, um, the second, the second, 2014, we decided to embark on this whole idea of an, all the animals, animal party. <laughs> um, and so for her birthday, we invite 20, it started with eight rescues. Um, they were up to 25. Wow. We invite, um, tri-state area rescues and their adoptable animals to come to Newtown. We pay for everything. We just say, please show up and let us host you and love on you and bring people to see your pets. Oh. And so we have, we have, um, truly the, all the animals party, because in addition to the 25 rescue organizations and their adoptable animals, we have nine animal educators and their ambassadors. And so there's uh, on this afternoon, um, it's, it's always on or before Catherine's birthday. We have birds of prey demonstrations. We have canine demonstrations. There are ambassador groups that work with exotic animals and making sure that people understand that they're not meant for pets. Um, face painting, vendors. It truly is a, a free community event that is a family festival with a pet adoption event. That's the focus of it. So this past year, this past Saturday, we had um, 10,000 people arrive. Wow. And we found homes for 158 animals. Wow. Yeah. That is all the animals. <laughs> it's all the animals, animal party. And the part that I love about it, 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 it is free 
to the community and it will always be free to the community. Face painting, crafts, they're free. The only reason that you would need to take a a wallet out of your pocket is if you wanted to adopt an animal or you wanted to buy lunch from the food trucks or something from one of the vendors. But I really believe, and we encourage people, like bring a picnic, just come down and, and celebrate these beautiful creatures that we share this world with. And I believe that the event is so successful because it level sets the community. There is no child that's walking around that green sad because their parents can't afford to have their face painted. Right. Or they can't afford to do the craft. Like that to me is just, that's, that's not what Catherine's birthday party was ever about. And the butterfly party is Catherine's birthday. And so why right. can't change anything? What a beautiful way to honor to honor her. (laughs) We should all be so fortunate to have that kind of honoring, you know? Right. And it's funny because this was our sixth annual celebration and we had rain, rain forecasted, rain forecast, rain in the forecast, because it's a rain or shine event. (laughs) And every single year, the clouds kind of part and it's just, it's a beautiful day because I really do believe that the heavens are smiling and Catherine's delighted and she is just thrilled with her, all the animals. <laughs> she's I, there, There's days where I think she's saying, see, I told you, you could do it. <laughs> <laughs> so when we had originally set this interview up, yep. we didn't know that our country was getting ready to have another tragic event. Yep. And I was just curious what that's like for you when you hear these stories and does that bring the trauma up or how, how do you get through that? Because unfortunately this seems to happen every so often. Exactly. It's for me, it's heartbreaking every time I hear about another, there's another shooting, there's another tragedy um, because I'm acutely aware of, just the suddenness and the tragicness of it, um, regardless of whether it's a school shooting or a, a concert or you know a grocery store. Like hurt is hurt and loss is loss. In my book, <laughs> I the Uvalde that one hit really close to home because that was very very similar to what happened in Sandy Hook and the thought of families waiting to know if it was their loved one. There was a sense of camaraderie with them. Um, and also a really hard knowledge of what exactly they were getting ready to embark on because right. it's, it's brutal yeah, and it's isolating. Um, despite the fact that you know, these tragedies, Uvalde and, and you know, Parkland and Sandy Hook, they all had this name and everyone goes, oh yes, I remember that. For the families, it is incredibly isolating um, because you're trying to understand what happened and the grief and it's all just sort of wrapped up. And so for me, it was really hard to, to think and understand and, and still wrap my head around that we're still having these news breaks of there's been a school shooting and babies are, are, are killed by young adults. Yeah. It's, it's babies killing babies. And it really has forced me to start thinking about why and, and how, why is, why do we continue to have this, this same conversation? And I, I've kind of landed on a place where, I think that there needs to be a, I think that there needs to be legislative conversations happening. Um, but I also think there needs to be some, some introspection um, as a country to really consider who we are as, as a humanity. I, I feel like so much of what we focus on is really self-centered. Um, we, we want things when we want them and we're this immediate delivery society and, our way is the only way. It's really easy to kind of hide behind screens these days um, and and be very, very forceful about our opinion when you're shouted out on a social media feed. 
And I think that a lot of the, the systemic problem starts with the fact that we fail to look each other in the eyes and have conversations. And I think once we return to humanity and realize that there's humans that we deal with, um, we're going to continue to have this problem. I often think of the pain and obvious, there's the obvious pain of all of the families who have now been impacted, but what, like, like what kind of pain is this person in who did this that felt like this was an option? I agree. And why was this not being seen or, or heard or handled in any other manner? And I totally agree. Gone are the days where, and it seems simple and, and naive, but I feel like gone are the days where neighborhoods are actually neighborhoods, where kids are playing outside or you are engaged with the person that lives next door, where we can help in these situations, where we can identify that this guy's hurting. Like there's clearly, there's, because I believe people innately are good that when something like this happens something's seriously wrong and i i believe that it's our job as human beings to come alongside the humanness of of helping these people that clearly have problems that they would feel like that would be appropriate to do i really appreciate you sharing your thoughts with us of course of course I'm so excited to share your work with the world. Thank you. How can people find out more about you and follow along? Yes. Well, everybody can visit cvhfoundation.org. All of our programs, all of our events, my blogs, my sort of my thoughts on healing are there. We have opportunities for people to get involved uh, this fall. We're doing a virtual 5K for Catherine. Um, it's a it's a race. It's a walk run, and you can participate from anywhere in the world. We oh, would wow. love to have as many countries and states represented. Um, and all of all of this information can be found at cvhfoundation.org. People can also follow us, and they can follow us on Facebook, where Catherine Violet Hubbard Animal Sanctuary, or Instagram, where at cvh Animal Sanctuary. And I'll have links for everyone right in the show notes so that they can go right there. And I was loving all of the photos from the butterfly party. Thank you. Yeah, it was it was a spectacular day. Jenny, thank you so much for sharing yourself and Catherine with us. You're welcome. You are welcome. This episode is brought to you by the Hugs and Belly Rubs Dog Health Journal. One of the most stressful times for me as a dog mom has been when my dogs have been sick. I've had dogs with cancer, with allergies, with mystery illnesses that we haven't been able to get a diagnosis for yet. With the Dog Health Journal, you can schedule your dog's daily meals, medications, supplements, track their appetite, water intake, and even poops. You can record their daily activities and note any changes in their physical appearance, such as lumps and bumps, or their routine. Since our dogs can't talk, it's our job as pet parents to listen to what they're telling us through their behavior and body language. With the Dog Health Journal, you can keep all the information you need to let your veterinarian know all in one place. With the Dog Health Journal bundle, you get your daily pages, you get your vet visit pages, you get a free 23-page ebook of the 12 changes in your dog to never ignore. And you also get tons of dog mom life hacks and general tips for keeping your dog as healthy as possible. So make sure you check the link in the show notes to hugsandbellyrubs.com for the Dog Health Journal. Your dog and your vet will thank you. I'm so grateful to Jenny for sharing her story and for sharing Catherine with us. Jenny and the organization were so kind to share tons and tons of photos with us, so make sure you check that link in the show notes. We have photos from Catherine's butterfly party, photos of their amazing property, photos from the Senior Paw program, and of course, some photos of Catherine as well. I'll also have links so that you can follow along with the Catherine Violet Hubbard Foundation on social media and a link that'll take you right to the virtual 5K race sign up. I can't wait to see what the future has in store for the Catherine Violet Hubbard Foundation. 
I'm sure that many of you are familiar with the phrase, the five stages of grief. This was a theory and a couple of books that were published by a psychiatrist named Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. And while sometimes we, I think people think that the stages are meant to be moved through like sequentially, like one after another, like you have to finish one before you can move on to the next, but that's actually not the case at all. The stages are actually meant to be really messy and to just identify and give a label to some of the things that you might be feeling after a grief or loss situation. So the five stages are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And a lot has been written about the five stages of grief over the last 40 or 50 years. And recently, another book came out, and it was written by David Kessler, who actually worked with Dr. Kubler-Ross. And David Kessler's book is called Finding Meaning, The Sixth Stage of Grief. And this book was kind of a game changer for me. And I'm someone who's done a lot of work, a lot of therapy, a lot of reading, a lot of processing around grief. Uh, some of you might know if you know me personally, or if you've ever listened to the first episode of the Believe in Dog podcast, that uh, my life was also affected by the loss of a child, a first grader. Um, my stepson, Damien, he and his mom uh, died in a car accident back in 2003. And my husband and I went through probably about five years <laughs> of living in a fog of not knowing what end was up. I mean, we were still getting up every morning and going to work and trying to be productive members of society. We bought a house during that time. We got married during that time. But we weren't really ourselves, and we were living in this fog and haze of just grief and depression. And what I had shared in the first episode of the Believe in Dog podcast is how dogs, <laughs> the dogs coming into my life were really responsible for helping us kind of start to turn things around and helping us start to find the good in every day and helping us learn to be present. And there was a lot of other things involved. <laughs> um, but the dogs were a huge, 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 huge part of that. And when I read David Kessler's book, it all sort of helped me make sense of, of what had been going on in my life at that time. And so I'll put a link in the show notes if anybody's interested in, in reading the book, Finding Meaning, The Sixth Stage of Grief. Because I think that's what is so beautiful about Jenny's story, about her continuing to honor the life and the love of Catherine. Jenny just completely exemplifies and embodies the idea that we can find a way to move forward and continue to honor the loved ones that we have lost. And while Jenny is obviously doing this in a very huge way, and I also think of, of people like the woman who founded Mothers Against Drunk Driving after losing her child, you know, in a drunk driving accident. There are people who do this in huge, huge ways that can change our lives and change the world. But I think that there's a lot of much more personal ways that we can do this in our own lives as well. The one other thought that I want to leave you with is just something that I've experienced in my own life. And that is that it's okay to ask about a loved one who has been lost. It's okay to ask about stories. It's okay to ask favorite memories or what they were like. Um, I'm always happy to share these things when it comes to my stepson, Damien, um, and with any other loved ones I've lost in my life as well. And I, I think sometimes we're afraid to bring up a loss. You know, we don't know if it's going to upset someone. And obviously I can't speak for everyone, but I think it's okay to say, is it all right if I ask what they were like? Because even if I cry, even if I get choked up, I'm thrilled to talk about him. <laughs> and, um, and when you're the person who has a loss like this in their life, sometimes it's awkward for me to even know, should I share this? When should I share this? Um, you know, for me, if, if I know that somebody has young children, sometimes I feel really awkward about sharing it because I know nobody ever wants to think that that's a possibility that could happen in their lives. So 
it's awkward on both sides. <laughs> but I think that more likely than not, people want to know that their loved one is remembered or acknowledged and, and asking about them is okay. So that'll do it for this episode of the Believe in Dog podcast. Thank you again for joining me as we explore all the different ways that the love of a dog can impact our lives. You can always find me at Believe in Dog Podcast on Facebook or at Believe in Dog Podcast with underscores on Instagram. And if you're a fellow dog health nerd like I am, make sure you check out my new podcast, The Alternative Dog Moms, that I do in conjunction with Kimberly Gautier of Keep the Tail Wagging. I'll also have a link in the show notes if you want to join the Believe in Dog Podcast Facebook group. I've started being more active in there again. Thank you, everybody, for your patience. We were all really active during like the lockdown pandemic time, and then things kind of fallen off, but I take responsibility for that. If you like this episode, please remember to share it with one of your dog-loving friends. And you can also leave a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcast. Your kind words truly make my day. <laughs> Until next time, this is Aaron Scott, sending you hugs and belly rubs. Believe in Dog Podcast is a production of Hugs and Belly Rubs, LLC.